JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN, ESPN.com. He's an NFL draft analyst and more, and we need some draft analysis around here because presently the Colts, they pick number four overall. It's Matt Miller who joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Matt, a little context here. I go all the way back because when you have a team that's foobar like this was, organizationally all the way down this past year, you start talking about draft stuff basically in October when you're not complaining about what Jim Irsay did with Jeff Saturday, you start, or, you know, Matt Ryan having a noodle arm or whatever, you start talking about this in October. I had heard in October that the Colts had, even with the season that wasn't at all great for Will Levis in Kentucky, had significant interest in him. Uh, That holds true right now. In your world, at number four, if they were going to go off the board, who do you think the Colts would go with right now? You think that I still remain accurate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously with the the idea that Bryce Young from Alabama, CJ Stroud from Ohio State are off the board, they're most likely in some order going one, two to Carolina and to Houston. So I think if you survey the rest of the class, Anthony Richardson from Florida feels like he's a year away. I, I think the Colts have backed themselves into a corner. No matter how much you like Gardner Minshew, uh, it feels like they've backed themselves into a corner of they need somebody to play sooner rather than later. And Richardson is more of a work in progress than he is someone who could step in right away. So uh, Will Levis is, you know, he's kind of the, the chair that's left at the game of, you know, musical chairs at the end. What do you like and dislike about the Kentucky quarterback, Matt? Yeah, there's, you know, that's a great point because I do think in throughout this process, you, you forget to talk about what you like about guys. And I think with Levis, you have someone who elevated a program who there were times, I mean, he's, he's all they got. And I, I think we even saw that at the pro day when, when these guys have pro days, so I'll tweet out my list of, Hey, here's who to watch today. The Kentucky pro day. It was, Hey, here's Will Levis and uh, have, have fun. You know, it's, you're watching one guy and then you're, you're getting out of town. So um, big, strong uh, arm talent is, is I probably the best in the class. It's he or Anthony Richardson. They're right up there. Um, could, could throw every level of the field that you want. He's incredibly tough. He's mobile. Uh, he's played in a pro-style passing attack. I mean, his offensive coordinator is the offensive coordinator of the L.A. Rams. So uh, there's definitely, you know, it's a system that's going to translate really well to what they do in the NFL. And uh, speaking of the arm strength, one of my favorite things is that he trusts that arm. And even playing at Kentucky, a lower level of talent around him than most of the teams he played in the SEC, he's out there spinning it. He's trying to make things happen, which can lead to turnovers. He had, you know, 23 interceptions the last two years that's an issue but there's there's a lot to work with there and I think that immediate idea is whether it's the Colts or someone else 
he's going to have a ton more talent around him. He's going to have a much better situation in the NFL than he did in college. All right. I wish, like, I know he has a cannon, but I loved what C.J. Stroud said at the combine here when he said he, he referred to himself as a ball placement specialist. And after watching yeah. a number of quarterbacks, certainly since you know, Philip Rivers here the past couple of years, not so much be ball placement specialist, that kind of struck a chord with me. Um, where is his level of ball placement skill just beyond the cannon of the arm that he described? That's where that's one of the two areas of improvement. Number one is he's got to speed things up in his process. I think he took a lot of sacks that he didn't need to. Trying to wait for something to happen in the pocket, waiting for a guy to get open or waiting for a play to break. Um, so he's got to get faster. But I, I think also being you know a, a receiver's best friend. C.J. Stroud hit the nail on the head. He's a point guard. He's a he's a distributor. Uh, I think Levis at times tries to throw guys open. He'll try to throw through a defender to get to you a little bit. So I think it's, he's got to do a better job of setting his players up. The flip side to that, it makes it tough to do that when you don't have players who can get open on their own. Um, so it's it's something that, yeah, you would love to see him, you know, set guys up for yards after catch. You want to see him throw with a softer touch at times. But he also didn't have first-round wide receivers like C.J. Stroud had at Ohio State. So um, there's there's a flip side to almost everything with Levis. Is, Man, you'd like to see this. Yeah. But – you know, the offensive line wasn't as good. Or, man, he was hurt this whole last year. You know, there there were a lot of things that, that definitely worked against him. I, I had a couple of Kentucky fans that are hardcore tell me, say, hey, this is not really him you're seeing right here. I mean, there's no weapons. He is dinged up. And then when I watched him, and I, listen, I base a lot of my opinion on, you know, a handful of games that I see. And I don't see a pro day and, you know, the combine stuff, not that much to me. So I base the actual competition. And, you know, Matt, in terms of the competition, C.J. Stroud stuck out so much to me in that Georgia game that I understand why Carolina wanted to pivot up and make sure that they had a legitimate shot at getting him. But I do feel compelled to tell you, after watching Richardson in his pro day, um, I like to call things around here sports arousals. Um, that gave me a bit of a sports arousal right there because, <laughs> he, I mean, I know that he's two, three years or whatever away, but goodness, that is a big dude that is fleet of foot, has a cannon for an arm. If he could ever put this together, look out. If he puts it together, he could be one of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, and that sounds like hyperbole, right? But there's no ceiling. And, I, you know, in my job, we talk a lot about floor and ceiling. Where are you at right now versus where can you be? And Anthony Richardson's ceiling has no limit. It, it really doesn't because he's massive. He's a fantastic athlete. If he doesn't have the strongest arm in the class, it's the second strongest. And I think from the second he steps into the NFL, he's one of the five best runners at the quarterback position in the entire league. I mean, he's very special when it comes to his ability to make plays happen. He had three runs over 80 yards this year for touchdowns. He's only played 13 games. That's the other side is, you know, it's it's all about where he can get. You're not drafting who he is today. You're drafting who he can be in three or four years, which is why you hear the Josh Allen comparisons. It's, hey, it's not it's not year one. It's what he can become with those rare physical tools and, and also incredibly hard worker, great human being. Everything you hear about Anthony Richardson is just like this is a – salt-of-the-earth guy who's going to work his tail off. He's going to take the coaching. He has that drive to be great. Checks every box when it comes to that. 
So Matt Miller of ESPN, NFL draft analyst, and more with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I the the one thing that concerns me, and we we saw it here. There was a point in time when Andrew Luck was here, Matt, where you know his signature was extending to play. And then that became a gray area to where, all right, so he's extending this and taking way too many hits. And then we saw it transform itself into a detriment. I think Josh Allen's going to go through the same thing coming up here as well, because I think he takes way too many needless hits. Um, In terms of Richardson, is this maybe to a team that has already pieces built around him that he can grow into or are you going to do what we see normally now in the NFL will a team draft him and grow those pieces outside of what they believe their future quarterback to be no I, that's a great point I think you have to look at I mean you look at Andrew Luck and Lamar Jackson you know Lamar is sitting out there as a free agent and can't find a landing spot and in turn because people are worried about how long his style of play can hold up. So I, I think with Richardson, you have that, that same thing. Obviously, he's much, much bigger. But um, I look at him as somebody where he's going to bring such a unique skill set to the table that you can you can build a team around that as opposed to, you know, drafting to, to suit his needs. But also, it's it's a process. You know, in Buffalo, they I, people talk, Josh is great, and he should get a ton of praise. They also invested in the offensive line through free agency. They bought an offensive line, basically, to go with, with that. They also trade for Stephon Diggs. So I think it's admirable. And, you know, you can have a similar plan in place of, all right, here's what we have that already works. You know, in Indy, you've got a great running back. You've got Michael Pittman Jr. I'm a fan of Alec Pierce. Uh, hopefully, Quentin Nelson gets back to who he you know, previously was. Bernard Raymond's developing at left tackle. So hopefully, you have some of those pieces in place so it's not it's not such a long process to get someone like a Anthony Richardson to where they could be. I always find this interesting around here, um, and really everywhere, but certainly around here in, in terms of talking to Chris Ballard because he – Everybody often talk about the best player available. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, Matt, the Colts select Will Levis at number four overall. They don't have to feel compelled to move up to number three or anything like that. Um, if they draft Levis at four, according to a mock draft you may have out there right now, uh, how far off would they be the best player available? It normally is the model they go by for a draft. How many would be better than him still on the board, you think, if Levis goes off at four? Yeah, I have him. That's you know the grade that you have on a player. I have him in the twenties. He's drafted a four. It's a jump, but yeah. that's just positional value, right? right? I mean, right. Um, and so that has to factor in. I think if you look at positional value and he's the fourth pick, it makes a lot more sense because you know you're not taking a running back in the top ten. You're not you know even some of the linebackers uh, not as valuable. Tight end certainly not as valuable as it used to be. Um, quarterback trumps all, so you almost you almost have to throw that ranking out a little bit and say, if this is your guy, if you're convicted about him a quarterback, you have to go get him. Yeah, it's uh, just you hear that all the time, and you go, oh, wow, okay, well, here it comes. But, yes, positional value. And, again, we're talking about, too, Matt, the most important position in sports anywhere. I mean, right. any sport whatsoever, right. that's the most important position. Yeah, and, I mean, as you all have seen, you know, when you, when you have it, it makes everything fun and exciting, and there's endless possibilities. When you don't, it's it's all encompassing. It's all you can talk about is how do we get the guy again. Do you think that at all Hendon Hooker should be a player of interest for the future for the Colts? I love Hendon Hooker. Um, absolutely. I think he has to be in the mix. The, it's with the, the idea, you know, at no, mid-November ACL tear, even with it being a clean ACL, it's, hey, when is he actually going to be ready? Um, and, and can you sell that? 
You know, Chris Dollar, Jim Marcy, can you sell that to a fan base? If you take a defensive lineman at pick four, if you take another defensive lineman in the top 50, uh, can you sell that? Of Hey, we, we have our guy. It just might be October or November before you actually see him play, and we're going to roll with Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew and, and Sam Ellinger until then. Um, that's that's the sell, and you got to – Man, if they don't take a quarterback at four, he he better be great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I listen. I I still think this is a reboot for Chris Ballard here. He had six years of lack of results, and I don't know if it was because of just how bad last season was, or because you didn't want to make if you're Jim Mercer a decision, a general manager, head coach, and your future quarterback all in in one particular off season. He's going to have three years. So to me. And I think I'm pretty much on target with that. So in closing here, if you think that Chris Ballard has three years, would he better be better served at going with somebody like Levis that you think could turn around and, and play as early as this season at some point? Should you draft a Hendon Hooker who would be available maybe by the end of the season coming off an injury? Or would you go at Anthony Richardson who sometime down the road could be an absolute beast at that position unlike we have ever seen? What's your direction in your selection with that in mind? Yeah, so I, they backed themselves into a corner. If it were me and all things were equal, let's take Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud off the board. I would want Anthony Richardson because the ceiling is so just – astronomically high. However, because as you've mentioned, you've got six years of mismanaging resources and going for band-aids over solutions and almost a fear of trading up and putting your stamp on a guy because if he fails, then you failed, right? It it definitely feels that way. Um, So I I think they have backed themselves into a corner where it it almost has to be Will Levis if Richardson and, and Stroud are gone, or excuse me, Young and Stroud are gone. It almost has to be Levis because you need somebody week one that you're saying, here's the future. You know, we've, we finally have put our stamp on a guy. Here's the future. Yeah. And we'll see how that goes, too. I just, listen, I, I hope that Richardson can play quarterback. I just don't know at the NFL level as of right now that he can. But just the, the talent is is outrageous. And uh, Hinton Hooker, everybody just much like you talks him up a great deal. And sometimes he's he's left out. Will he make it out of the first round, in your opinion? Um, I would say right now there's a good chance he doesn't. I think enough teams need a quarterback that might miss out. You know, I mean, the Minnesota Vikings are a really interesting team to watch because who knows what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins. You know, you've got the, the Washington Commanders even, the Detroit Lions. You know, there's enough teams in the second half of the first round that uh, could be looking ahead at quarterback. Seattle's certainly in the mix. Who knows how Tampa feels about Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. So, uh I look at the board and I see a lot of teams that need need answers at quarterback and Hendon's definitely the next guy off the board. You think there's any way that the Colts are going to need to be trading up to number three? Are they going to get you know I, what blocked on this? I, I don't think they will. I, I don't think it, they believe they will. Yeah. But do they, do you think you so? Worry about it. Yeah. I mean, you have to worry about it. And we've seen it before. You know, um, the, the Chicago Bears traded up one spot to get Mitchell Trubisky. Now that proved to be a bad decision, but. They were so worried that someone was going to jump them to get their guy. They traded up one spot. And the cost is obviously not great when you're only bumping one spot to make sure you get your guy. But uh, that is where Ballard, who is so well-connected around the league, I mean, he's got to find out, is anybody trying to come up? What are they, you almost have to call Arizona and say, hey, give us a, give us a chance. You know, give, us the, give us the last call before you say yes to a trade. Give us a chance to match or better it. 
but that is that has to be what's keeping them up at night right now. Other than making sure they pick the right guy, is, <laughs> gosh, what if we what if you fall in love with a guy and and he's not there because you waited? Wow. Uh, that's the other. St- I think people around here kind of have prepared themselves for a scenario just like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be wild. I'm, I'm thankful I'm not in Chris Ballard's shoes right now. Yeah. Hey, man, I appreciate that. Matt Miller of ESPN, he is their uh, draft guru there. You can check him out uh, on Twitter. Follow him as well. Hey, we may try to catch up with you as we get closer to the draft. He wouldn't mind. Get you on here again. Let's make it happen. That sounds great. Matt, I appreciate you. Thanks, buddy. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Mandy Moore on the Motive Group Hotline. The theme song from Dallas played us back in because that's where he's back from. A, a, really a great race in Texas yesterday, won by Joseph Newgarden. Jake Quarry, the morning show. Kevin and Quarry's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Have you ever been to South Fork when you've gone to Texas? I have not. Actually, one of the years, I can't remember for what reason what I was doing, but I know that Mark James and a couple of the members – you know, a couple of my colleagues on the, the radio network went. I did not go to that. I was probably at the Texas School Book Depository Museum. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, they, I mean, they actually said it's pretty cool. I, I've never I've never actually been there. It seems like, but, like such a little house. And it was always kind of weird to me that the, the whole family lived in there. <laughs> I mean, like uh, you know, Jr.'s married to Sue Ellen. He's down the hall. There's Bobby the and Pam. And, not very good. What's that? I said, and clearly the security was not very good. <laughs> it's not. I'm going to tell you what, though. Victoria Principal, as she has to be one of the hottest Pams of all time, right? And you talk about what Victoria Principal disco dancing would do to a little me back then. That was you pretty know, special. I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you the Pam I had a crush on of the same era. Pam Dauber. Do you know who that oh, is? I could do. Yeah, Pam Dauber. Mork and Mindy, everybody. Yeah. I thought yep. she was she was more like next door girl kind of yes. cute, but she was cool too. Yeah, um, yeah. Victoria Principal had me had me at hello right there, so no doubt about that. But no great race yesterday. You know, well done on the call. I love Pato Award. I love Pato Award after the race saying, you know, because Newgard had mentioned that you know he was appreciative of the respect in racing respect that award was showing and then when asked that award said is there any other way to race i thought that that was pretty cool yeah pato award you know for those that are not familiar with him yet they're gonna be because he's gonna win a lot of races in his career number one he's a great personality number two he's kind of an excitable guy he's always kind of upbeat um and a massive talent i remember oh a couple of years ago it would have been at gateway so st louis at that track we had a double header and after the first race award was running up close. I can't remember what happened at the end, maybe a, a problem in the pits cost him. And I remember new garden was the one that came up to him afterwards and said, Hey man, you're going to win a lot of races. Like you're, you know, and those two, I think have a lot of respect for each other. They're right now. They may be the top. I there are a lot of good talents in there. Scott McLaughlin's up there as well, but they're, they're amongst two of the better. Uh, but it was, you know, it, 
it is so much fun to watch and, and to have the pleasure to call that race on the radio network just because it's nonstop. I mean, it really is like side by side. I mean, it, there were a couple of times where it looked like one car going into the turn. It was because they were so close to each other. And the skill set and the respect level between the, the drivers to be able to do that is it's a great show for the fans, and it was a lot of fun to call it. Yeah, that sounded great. It really was. And it's, it's too bad that um, I know people suggest you wish you had more ovals like that because the racing is so fun. Why is there such a difference between crowds and an oval and crowds on a race course? Or I should okay, say on a tra- something, whatever it is. Yeah, it's a great road course. And, and the analogy that I've always used, and by the way, and John, I'm the first to admit, I, I didn't necessarily know this until I started working in it. So for, for folks that are unfamiliar, a road course is a permanent fixture and yeah. a street course is a temporary course using streets of a city. I, I mean, I didn't know that probably until 10 years ago, color me ignorant, but, or well. So, so uh, Long Beach, years, so Long Beach, which ago. is coming up next in a couple of weeks is a street course, correct? Correct. So it uses city streets. Gotcha. And then like mid-Ohio is a road course, meaning it's a permanent track right that that uses right and left-handed turns but i I think the easy i've thought a lot about this you know why are there not more people at ovals versus road and street courses and i really think it comes down to this to go and watch an oval race even though it's intoxicating and people that go to it i think by and large always enjoy it to buy that first ticket and go probably you have to be a fan of the sport or typically that's what it would take Whereas on a street course like Long Beach, it's just a huge event. It's a downtown civic event. And as I told Kevin this morning, you know, it's like Irish Fest. You know, every year, Shannon and I go to Irish Fest. And we buy a Guinness and we listen to, you know, Irish music. And I buy a sweater and we walk around for an hour. And that's it, you know. I mean, just because it's an event, it's something to do. And I think that that's what a street course is. I mean, people go or a road course because they can camp and they can hang out and they can grill out and they can drink and you know they can walk around and all of that so you don't have it's an event outside of just the sport itself in addition to that i think that the ovals translate better to drama on television so i think people are more tempted to watch it on television than to go to the track itself so I think those are the factors that come into play. Jake Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Why, why couldn't we, and I know we just, we listen, we, we can't be trusted. And I say we, and it's certainly not me, but most cannot be trusted to try to handle the situation that went down yesterday in that women's national championship game. I know you're not probably privy to it because you may have been working, you may have been on the road or whatever but why can't we just enjoy hey listen trash talking is a part of it i loved it all bad officiating is a part of it i mean i love making fun of bad officiating but at the end of it it became some big social display to try to make sure that you get more clout and a lot of views in social media and that's the part of yesterday i i could not stand why can't we just be satisfied with a level of competition in the women's game collegiately that has been on the rise and certainly is more in in the public eye now mass public eye more than it ever has we just can't can't be satisfied with that, can we? We yeah, can't be trusted. I agree. You, you know what's interesting to me? Two things. Number one, and part of it is because of the teams that are playing tonight, and no disrespect to them, because San Diego State has been quietly a really good program for a while now. They were one of the best teams of the year where the tournament was scrapped due to COVID. 
you know, they San Diego State turned their keep for certain. UConn has been just phenomenal the last you know month and a half of the college basketball season. So two very deserving teams tonight, and two teams that'll be fun to watch. However, not necessarily two teams with major fan bases, or despite UConn's you know potential here for a fifth title in 24 years, which is amazing. Not necessarily the the national clout and blue blood blood status, even though I think UConn kind of is that of late, but. So it is amazing that maybe that all factors into here it is the day of the national championship game in men's college basketball. And all of the discussion is about what happened to the women's national championship game. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, that speaks to, you know, it speaks to, to the talent of Caitlin Clark and the, and, and the talent of LSU overall and, and just the, the nature of it all. I, I think the reality is John, and I know it's probably not comfortable, comfortable for people to talk about. I know it's probably an area that, other people can speak more intellectually about than than me. But I do think that there is a little bit of a social, a fascinating social dynamic with the racial aspect of it, quite frankly, because you have, you know, uh, you have a, a white player from Iowa and from Des Moines, Iowa, that people are naturally defensive about the fact that she was taunted, I'll say for lack of a better phrase, at the end of a game by African-American players, but in reality, they were mimicking the exact behavior that she had displayed over the course of the tournament from herself that pumped herself up. I think part of that is just the mantra. So not only do you have the racial element of it, but then I think you also have the gender element of it because when guys do that, oh, man, like, look at what a fiery competitor. And, you know, he's got the Mamba mentality. He's got the MJ mentality. I wish LeBron had that. But when a female player does it, she was raised the wrong way. She didn't. She she doesn't have any grace about her. So there are a lot of elements that make it intriguing, and I think that's why it's been such a topic of discussion. But to your point, what we should be talking about, I I had the pleasure last night of flying back. I flew into Cincinnati, actually, and I flew next to a young lady who had played basketball just a couple of years ago at Western Michigan who was, we were talking about it, you know, and she was saying, look, the real story was the fact that LSU was blistering hot. They scored over a hundred points. They, you know, they, they, they had their finest offensive game at their finest offensive hour when it, when it mattered most. And you had a player in Iowa that, that got a lot of eyeballs on that. And so both deserve a lot of respect in my opinion. No, I, lo- I loved it yesterday. I loved it. And then, you you know, you get, especially if you're unlucky enough to get into the uh, For You category of your YouTube, which means there's nobody on there that you really want to read. And for some reason, it suggests it's For You. You get in that toilet, and then you got to just see everything that sucks. Listen, I know the officiating was bad, but I got news for everybody. It's part of it. It's going to happen. And I'm glad it's not perfect because I don't know what people would do if that aspect of complaint ever went away. I don't know what we would do if it ever went away. And the other part of about it is it it just it was a compelling game. But everybody's always going to twist this into their own little thing and hope you go viral in social media. And I think it, that's a huge part of it. It is I just – I, I mean, you, people cannot be trusted. It's just jackasses across the board. I loved it. I don't care if they talk – 
trash. That's great. And I'm telling you, I loved watching that game from start to finish. And regardless of the officiating, LSU was going to win that game because they were just the superior team. But everything around it, trash talking and the ring thing and whatever that John Cena thing is, fan fantastic give me more it's about competition and that's what we should want but instead i think a lot of people just want some little controversy so you can dive in and complain about it people i don't get a lot of people man i mean it's just got to complain about something when you get up every single day i guess i'm just not built that way can't do it i saw your tweet yesterday I could not agree more. About Jaja? On Twitter. About Jaja? You had the tweet that said, all I know is that the for you is not for me. And I'm like, how many times do I now go onto Twitter on my timeline? And I'm like, what is this? What am I looking at? It's a toilet is what it is. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm on the for you set. Who determines that's for me? I have no idea. It's like somebody flushes the toilet. It was like drains out on your for you timeline right there. I, um... On Saturday night, I watched the San Diego State-UConn game at a pretty cool little bar that was next to our hotel. You know, we had, I went and got something to eat, and I'm sitting there watching the game, and I got to talking to a guy next to me. Nice guy. And he was from Dallas. And then I, I realized that during the time that we were sitting there talking, he had had – I mean, he, he must have had a hollow leg, the, the amount of beer he drank, but – he then began to tell me about how he has special clearance in the FBI special ops, and as a result of that, he was able to climb to the back of the Iwo Jima Memorial in Washington, D.C., and pull up a hatch underneath one of the soldiers' feet that had a one-mile ladder that went down underground into where the 13 satanic cobbles of the world were meeting that particular day. And I thought to myself, this is the kind of stuff I typically see on the For You category of Twitter. You know what I mean? Right, like, exactly. Like how, how did I how did I end up sitting next to this guy who was nice for the first 90% <laughs> of our conversation? And then I'm like, okay, I'm sticking around because it's a good game, but I think I'm probably going to bail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah that and then and I, I mentioned yesterday, Kim Mulkey, who was an outstanding coach, looked like Jaja Gabor on the sideline, which – you know, I guess if you win, whatever, right? Actually, you like, know what? Well, she wasn't even on the sidelines. She, hell, she was out in the middle of the floor half the time running into the officials and everything else. Well, she looks like Tom Crean in a, in a leisure suit, right? I mean, she's out there like halfway. I mean, half, half the time you think she's guarding one of the opposing players. I mean, she's something for sure. <laughs> like Kevin, Kevin's been, Kevin pointed that out like at the beginning of the tournament. He's like, I had LSU coach, let me tell you. Yeah, I, I love the game. Just all all of those aspects made it more compelling for me, especially coming off of what was incredibly disappointing. And I was trying to explain this a little bit earlier. Jay Query joins us that people were saying, you know, Dusty called a lot of timeouts down the stretch in that Florida Atlantic game in that final possession that they had. The reason why is he knew how important it was going to be because he did not want to leave it up to a last-second opportunity. He understood the value of that final possession because San Diego State had basically not been stopped in any of those possessions down the stretch. So you understood that. You wanted to give yourself the best opportunity. Um, And unfortunately, it, it did not work out for them. And then you get San Diego State. Normally you have, and you know this as being an NCAA tournament follower for years, is that normally you have one signature moment to where it could go legitimately a coin flip one side or the other. And if you're the fortunate team, that's that signature moment you have. San Diego State now has two of them. They got that foul call against Creighton 
that gave them that win, and then that that jumper, that mid-range jumper from Butler that gave them that win on Saturday night. Normally, you don't have two of them like that. Normally, one's enough, but having two, and then considering UConn, they haven't played in a tight game yet. If San Diego State could keep this close, since UConn hadn't played in a game that's been close so far, they probably won't. But who knows how interesting that might get tonight? Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I, I think San Diego State. The, you know, it's if you look at, I, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, it is still in play for UConn to win the tournament by the largest average margin of victory for an NCAA champion all time. I think they still have a chance to do that. And, you know, they have just steamrolled through this tournament. And, you know, look at Miami. I mean, they, they jumped on Miami early and then were just able to kind of hold on to that throughout. And so you would think the spread would be much higher than seven and a half. I think the fact it's a seven and a half point line speaks to the respect that San Diego State's defense and their abilities in that regard have. I, you know, I, I just think I think they can hang around. I do. And I think you make a good point that they've kind of been in that moment. If it gets down to that, you know, to those moments late in the game, yep. the odds are probably 40% that takes place. But I don't rule it out because I do think just their intensity and, and how hard they play – they're going to, I mean, there's a reason they're in the national championship game. I mean, there's a reason for that. And they've, you know, they've knocked off some, some pretty elite teams to get here. So, you know, we'll see what happens. It's a Jake Cray, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings here, seven until 10 a.m. on the fan on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, uh, what time did you get out there, by the way, this weekend in Texas? When'd you leave? Uh, I, for Texas, I left on Friday, uh, six o'clock. I okay. got out there Friday night and then was up. Uh, it was a two-day show, so it was just Saturday and Sunday. So you so got we out before back. the storms here on Friday, then? Yeah, I did, and I and you know it's interesting, John. I, I we had a very Plains Trains and Automobiles level return because there were storms in in Dallas Fort Worth yesterday, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, when you find out five hours ahead of time your flight's canceled and whatever else, you get frustrated, and I was frustrated and. You get the adrenaline and everything else, and then you kind of stop for a second. And you go, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm going to get home. It's, it might be later than I anticipated. And there are people in Indiana that, you know, in, in areas very close to you, I know, in, in more ways than one, um, you know, you realize there are people that don't have homes anymore. And you think to yourself, yeah, I can probably be inconvenienced for a little bit because, you know, it's life-altering to a lot of people. It was – heartbreaking to see for sure the one thing that and i know this is cliche but it's true you know i've lived in other states i've lived in other areas i don't know that other states and other areas collectively come together to try to lift people up like people do in indiana for for fellow people and you know for fellow hoosiers so hopefully that's the case and hopefully we're able to rally together for people that are going to need it throughout the state because it was tough it was it was tough i mean and you feel you feel fortunate and, you know, my power was out, I think, until like 5 o'clock on Saturday. That that part didn't matter. And to get the scope of it. So I live basically on the now I-69 end of, of Whiteland Road. I live on the other side of Mallow Run. And we drove down because we came in here. Blake and I came in here to, to get cleaned up 
down the basement because we didn't have any power. And of course, you know, I live in Walnut Grove. So when my, uh, and I mean, Little House on the Prairie, Walnut Grove. So right. when, uh, when the power goes out, I don't have any water. And, uh, you know, all the older folks in my life want to tell me exactly what I should do with a bucket of water and flushing the toilet. And I really don't want to do that. So I just decided to come in here. And to see it being blocked off basically from 31 to 65 and then to, to recognize the damage and how lives were were affected, um, I, I mean, it does. It puts everything in perspective. I mean, it really does. And I will tell you this, the, uh, the weather coverage was outstanding on Friday night across the board. But I, I want to give a shout out to Brian Wilkes, who had... He was on the money. Oftentimes we make fun, you know, of weather people. Sean Ash, you know, has a, a hashtag blame Sean kind of thing, and it's a big joke. But Brian Wilkes and everybody, especially Brian, I was watching Brian, was so on the money. And I mean to like 30 seconds on the money saying, hey, if this is, you know, not a warning to take shelter. This is it is happening right now take shelter he was so on the money on that i i just and that's what i was watching and i know everybody including wybc and john herrick and the gang downstairs were doing a great job making sure everybody was updated too i just watching brian wilkes work like that it was incredible to see because he was right on on the money with everything i know technology provides that but when you see it go down and you have to explain it to folks at that moment and just know how incredibly important that it is, I, I thought that was special. I thought that was incredibly special. And I wanted to give a shout out to Brian Wilkes and everybody else who did that on Friday because, you know, they, they kept everybody as updated as, as humanly possible. Yeah, I think we're lucky because in a lot of markets, you know, you have meteorologists that, that they go into meteorology because they want to be on TV and that's, that's the way to do it, right? In Indianapolis, I mean, I know virtually all of them, we're lucky that we have people that are in it because they love forecasting the weather. They love the science of it. And they love trying to keep people informed. And I think it shows. And Brian Wilkes, you know, Brian Wilkes is a guy that, by his own admission, used to, like, listen to a weather radio when he was, like, you and I were, like, sneaking in a radio to, to listen to Marty Brenham or something. Right. He was listening to weather radio. Sure. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it's fun, and, and I will do it again. Uh, in the winter time, when they forecast some eight-inch snow and we get a dusting, you know, we'll, we'll we'll poke fun at that. But when it matters most, those folks deliver in keeping people safe, and that's the important thing. Uh, there has been, and I, I don't know if you guys, I'm assuming you guys did this morning, talk about Bob Knight uh, being admitted to the hospital in Bloomington over the weekend. Pat Knight sent out a statement from the family earlier today, actually within the hour, that states, on behalf of the Knight family, we thank you for your thoughts and prayers. As many have heard, my dad was hospitalized over the weekend with an illness and has since been released from the hospital. We ask for your privacy as he is cared for and resting at home in good hands. Coach always taught us and those that played for him the importance of fighting through adversity, and he and our family thank you for the tremendous amount of support you have shown and given during this time. We appreciate your continued thoughts and prayers. That is from somebody you know really well, Pat Knight of the uh, Knight family. Bob Knight has been released from a Bloomington hospital. Yeah, and, you know, Pat's the best, man. I mean, I love Pat. Um, And I know, you know, for Pat Knight, I think Pat Knight is known for a long time, even since when he was a player at Indiana, that, that 
you know, there've been a lot of times where he's, he's kind of been, he's, he's looked after his dad or, you know, they've had a, a close relationship, obviously father, son, but then player coach and all of that. So when Knight went back to, to Indiana and was honored, you know, Pat was obviously the one that kind of put all of that together. And Pat's been very transparent. I think about some of the, the health challenges that Bob Knight has had. And I know it has not been easy on Pat and, Pat is a guy that is always in a good mood, always optimistic, and I'm hopeful that that carries both he and, and Bob Knight and that family through in, in what I think is probably a difficult time. Let me tell you a story about seeing Pat Knight on his 21st birthday, uh, birthday inside Hooligans. <laughs> no. Let me just tell you this. Um, <laughs> you without going into deep detail, without going into deep detail, I will just tell you that in Hooligans, one of the all-time great bars anywhere, but especially in Bloomington, it was in Dunkirk Square, great place. Uh, it was really kind of a 1980s layout, kind of, you know, a level, a mid-level, then an upstairs, and then you could walk into the upstairs pub. It was called Hooligans. On his 21st birthday, uh, he uh, evidently stopped up the trough in the men's bathroom. Listen, man, and there, I mean, there, there's, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, you had to, you had to, re, you had to be, you had to be having a, a really special evening to stop up the trough. Pat is the best, man. <laughs> I mean, he is the, I will say, when we were in college, and I, I for those that don't know, I, so I knew Pat Knight at Indiana because I was his next door neighbor, completely serendipitously i mean i moved into an apartment and first day hey let's go meet the neighbors and it was pat knight ryan Carr, and my myself and and my three roommates and then pat and ryan i mean we were all six of us were just it was one big apartment by you know by september practically and the thing i loved about pat was he he was just as he was just a fun loving guy that that yeah his dad was the head basketball coach and the legend of the state of indiana at the time but pat just wanted to be one of the guys and Absolutely, was just one of the guys, and was, I mean, he was so much fun, and, and still is. He's a great personality, but man, like Robin Miller, our great late, the, the, the late Robin Miller used to say, man, so, someday maybe I should write a book. I don't have near the story <laughs> Robin did about people, but but I'll tell you what, there's some great ones from that time period. That was that was a good one. The old trough. <laughs> The old, I wasn't uh, I wasn't good in the trough. I had to go. There was a tweener bathroom between the upstairs and hooligans. I always hit that because yeah, there was a, a little bit. There was a little bit more. Uh, it was a little more uh, private than the trough was. The trough was, really yeah. wasn't for me. Understood. Understood for sure. <laughs> he stopped up. Stopped it up on his twenty first birthday. What do you guys got going on tomorrow? Uh, we're actually going to continue talking. You know the. The situation with the the Colts drafting fourth and whether or not Tennessee is going to move into the three slot, I think is pretty fascinating. So we'll continue to take a look at that. We're also going to, you know, I, I think that the Lamar Jackson discussion is probably a little bit cooled, but we're going to, we plan on whether it's tomorrow or not, or, or maybe Wednesday, we're going to talk to Baltimore, the Baltimore side of it, and find out what they think about Lamar Jackson, whether or not he stays in Baltimore, what the options are there. So uh, that, and then of course the always, you know, uh, popular discussion of whether or not the Pacers are going to get Victor Wembanyama, which they're not, but it's fun to talk about, right? You know, it's funny but, uh, about. Obviously, we'll recap tonight's game. I mean, that's the big thing. San Diego State, Connecticut, we'll we'll talk about that. That'll be a big thing. 
my, my theory more on the Colts and no Lamar Jackson, which is not going to happen, and I've completely ruled that out, is, is more so because if this were a year ago, without a doubt, I think Jim Irsay right now is at a point to where he wants to be point man as ownership, as an owner of the NFL. And, you know, after going down the path of this is not – this we don't want this in the NFL. I you know, I'm again I'm paraphrasing what he said last week. There's no going back from that. So I mean you can't say you that and then go out there and, and grab Lamar Jackson. So there's no yeah. going back for that. He he just I mean, he wants to be the leader. I think he wants to be a major voice as ownership in the NFL. And after he said that last week, I mean, people still suggest that it could happen. You might as well write that thing off. It's not. Yeah, totally agree with you on that. I, and I, I think that's a very – I think Kevin was the one who pointed this out at the time, and I think it was a really astute observation. When when Jim Irsay was the first to be outspoken about Daniel Snyder and got some praise for that, I think that uh, kind of awakened in him this epiphany that he's a guy that could speak for the owners on a lot of topics. And I think the guaranteed contracts and, and the money to quarterbacks is one of them, and it would be – Obviously, this would be a way yes. for him to, to begin with that line in the sand. All right. 7 until 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. We're going to let Jake Query go get a nap right now. Go do it. That was the majority of the afternoon, John. I appreciate it. Did uh, Janes ride his bike down there and back? How did he get back? <laughs> Mark Janes, Nick Yeoman, and Michael Young drove back. As soon as they canceled the flight, they drove back. I, we were supposed to fly out of Dallas Love Field. I went ahead and drove over to DFW, caught a flight to Cincinnati. My buddy Mike Byron drove down to Cincinnati, picked me up at 9.50 at night, and we drove back to Indy. There you go. That's nice of your buddy oh, yeah. to do that, though. Was he the only Byron guy that would do that, that when everybody else would say, you know what, You know, piss off on this, I'm not coming down well, there Well, you were going to be the second call, so you better be glad. <laughs> well, I'm the only one that's going to answer the phone that late for one. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, buddy, I, I appreciate you. We'll talk at you later on this week, right, I'm sure. Bye. See you, John.